0: We were married back in 1981, and uh, we met at the University of Florida. And uh, we both had credit card debt. The big fat elephant in the room for 34 years has been the budget. I've been the budgeter and been able to do it. And the free spirit just kind of decided that that's what he liked to do, and um, just give me my, my, you know, my spending money, and then I won't worry about it. We spent many years spending more thinking that we could pay it off later, that oh, I was gonna get that bonus at the end or whatever, and that those typically don't ever happen, and you don't ever pay those off at the time, so you know, we started uh, years ago with a lot of debt. I went through a difficult time of not being employed, and we continued to tithe through that entire time, and uh, God was able to bless us. was able to always cover the mortgage payment and, and everything, and we learned to do with less. Uh, our legacy that we'd love to leave our children is to not be in debt and to be able to pass that on to them and model them. I think that as parents, it's, it's a responsible thing to do to teach our children uh, to be uh, wise with their money and to put God first and then be able to, to have a savings plan from there. All right, let's thank the Lord for that
1: testimony, man. That's awesome, awesome, awesome progress. Hey, everybody, I'm excited to see all of you on all of our campuses today. And those of you who are watching on the web, man, we're glad to have you along with us. And I'm super excited about the generosity that's being demonstrated in our lobbies on all seven campuses right now. Uh, As you know, last week I asked you to help us demonstrate the power of saving some of the money that we make so that we'll have some, uh, so that we can be generous when we see a genuine need, just like the Good Samaritan was that Jesus talked about. And our local outreach team found just a need in our community. Friends, there is the sad reality is that there are disadvantaged kids in our community who go to bed hungry every single night. And we can talk about why that happens and be angry about why that happens. But the truth is, bottom line, there are kids showing up at school every morning who haven't eaten since the last time they were at school. And that's something we can fix. So over the last week, uh, we have emptied the shelves of stores all over town. Uh, Dorothy told me out in the lobby a minute ago, they're having to go to to South Carolina to buy groceries now. We clean everything out around here. It's awesome, man. We've just been buying these single-serve portions of milk and macaroni and cheese and juice and fruit and oatmeal and crackers and all kind of stuff like that. Uh, I bumped into my friend Nikki uh, last week over at Sam's Wholesale. Uh, I was looking for a case of macaroni and cheese, which is what Henderson's collecting today. And man, she was stocking up and she's got her two kids loaded up, man. They brought all that stuff today, which is awesome. Uh, And as you saw uh, on the way in at every one of our campuses, stuff is stacking up. Now next week in the lobby on every campus, I hope you will get here early so that you and your kids can help us pack these bags to bless these kids. Now friends, all of this is happening because of a principle about managing money that people who love God have been practicing for 4,000 years. And we're going to talk about that principle today and hopefully uh, we're going to do a lab on it this week uh, and see how that works out. So if you're new here today, since the second week in January, our whole church family has been working our way through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Now Dave came uh, to our church and he spoke here back in January to kick this thing off. We've been learning the ancient wisdom of God that has blessed the way his people manage money, uh, blessed his people when they manage money his way. And I say it's an ancient wisdom of God because it's been working for a long, long time. Uh, We talked about the disciplines of trusting God, you know, so you don't get buried in debt because of discontent running your life like alcohol and drugs runs the life of some addict. And we talked about developing a plan, you know, budgeting your money so you're not shaking your head wondering where your money went. And we talked about attacking debt. Man, debt is like a noose around the neck of so many people in our country. And by God's grace, we're cutting that rope by paying those debts off, selling some of that dumb stuff that we bought that we didn't need, and rethinking how we spend our money. Friends, we are essentially learning to spend money with accountability. Accountability to God, accountability to our family, accountability to ourselves, our budget. We're just learning. Now, we don't want our money just running through our fingers like water, and that's how it is for most people, and that's why they don't have any. So today we're going to learn a principle that if you will live by it, will inform inform the way you use every dollar you make for the rest of your life. Now, friends, this is really important because money, more than anything else in life, has the potential to become a God substitute. Man, there are people, and some of us have done it, who think that money can do for us things that only God can do. Man, we look to money and possessions as a source of satisfaction or significance, and you can't make enough money to make that happen. We look to money as a source of security rather than to God, and then before you know it, You're living your lives not for God, but for money. And money becomes like an idol sitting on the throne of your heart. And so we give heart and soul and mind and strength to money instead of the Lord. It becomes the purpose of our lives and we're worshiping money instead of God. Now you just need to know that Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. Got to pick one. Can't serve them both. So if you have your Bibles, I am going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew 25. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say in, uh the longest parable, you know, a parable is a, is a fictional story that carries a spiritual meaning. Uh, Matthew 25 is the longest parable he ever told. It's called the parable of the talents. In the New International Version, it's called the parable of the gold bags. And so, friends, this parable has had a profound effect on my philosophy of ministry, uh, my vision for our church, the way I think about my money, uh, the way I think you should think about your money. And so let's just dig into this thing. It's worth mining a little bit. Now, verse 14 begins this way. Again, that's how we say it in South Carolina. Can I get amen on that? Some of y'all probably say again, but when we get to heaven, you'll all say it the way I say it. All right, again. Now, this should make you ask, again what? Now, if you read chapter 25 and then chapter 24, you will see that this story comes in a sequence of lessons that Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God. Man, he's talking about how you can trust the Lord when you're in the kingdom of God. You can trust him you know, when every other thing you see and have lets you down, you can still trust the Lord. He's also talking about how suddenly your life will come to an end. And then you will find yourself standing before God and giving account for what you believed and what you did and how you lived because of what you believed. And friends, the point is, you're not gonna be around here forever. And there are some decisions that you need to make today because one day, Very soon, for some of us, you're going to find yourself standing before the Lord. And as Jesus said, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, to another, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Now, what we see here is a really wealthy man in this story who represents God. And he calls together his servants, which represents all of us. And he's getting ready to leave for a while. They don't know how long he's going to be gone. But until he returns, he expects he is going to entrust his resources to them. Now, in the first part of this verse, there's a word that is so important. that If you miss it, you will not understand the meaning of this parable and you will not understand the kingdom ethic on how you manage money. It's the word his. Everybody say it. His. Okay, everybody else say it. His. Yeah, all right, good. His. The master entrusted his Wealth to them. Now the word his of course implies possession. It, it, it establishes ownership. Who do these bags of gold belong to? Doesn't belong to the servants. It belongs to the master. It is in their hands, but it is not their stuff. This is the master's wealth and he is entrusting it to his servants. The master in this story entrusts his wealth and distributes his wealth. Now, this is the point I hope you'll understand today because I'm telling you, it's the key to being a wise money manager. This parable is about the theology of ownership. And I don't want you to miss this because if you don't get this theology straight, you're just never gonna be able to get your life synced up. And if you do get it straight, everything else about how you manage money will make sense. The biblical theology of ownership is very simple. It all belongs to God. Say it with me, y'all. It all belongs to God. It's a simple idea. Now, when we approach our money and our possessions from this perspective, that it all belongs to God, then suddenly, man, it's easier to overcome greed and coveting and materialistic lust for that next motorcycle, that next car, that next trip. You know, the monster of more, 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 got to have more. And friends, we will learn to handle our money and our resources in a way that God wants us to. Now, all of your heroes in the Bible believe this. All the people that you respect the most in the Bible believed in the theology of ownership. It all belongs to God. Moses, most amazing leader who liberated the Jewish people from Egyptian slavery, gave us the 10 commandments. He taught, look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. King David, that amazing artist, politician, hero, warrior, wrote most of the Psalms said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. Let's say it all together, y'all. Big voice now. The earth is the Lord's and every... All right, stop. When you read the scripture in public, you got to read it like a preacher, all right? Now, I know you don't want to be a preacher, so just for just this one minute, fake it. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. Here we go. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live... Lord, I'm getting insecure about my job now. Y'all picking it up here a little bit, all right? The book of Job in the Old Testament. You know, Job is the guy who suffered, 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 suffered. We learn so much from him. When Job was going through this terrible time of unexpected suffering, felt like he lost everything. Here's how God comforted him. Job, no one has ever given me anything that I must pay back because everything under the sky belongs to me. What's he saying? Job, all that stuff that you think you lost, who gave it to you? I did. I did. And when this testing time is over, I can give you all that and twice as much back again. Amen. If you read this book, you'll see that God blessed Job with more after his trial than he ever had before. The prophet Haggai uh, records this for us. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In Psalm 50, it's almost like the Lord is messing with us a little bit. He said, you know, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't need your help. The world is mine and all that's in it. Every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. What's he saying? The gold in every mine, the cattle on every hill, the hills themselves all belong to me, says the Lord. Now we could go on and, on and on with this, but hopefully what you're getting is the perspective that Jesus has when he does this teaching in Matthew 25 and his perspective is everything belongs to God. Say it with me, everybody. Everything belongs to God. Now, friends, when you see your money, And your possessions, from that perspective, when you learn to look at it from that angle, then stewardship becomes so much easier to accept and understand. Because, man, if everything belongs to God, then God has a right to tell us what to do with it because it's His. And friends, life just works better that way. Now, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of our Father's care. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about finances. Don't be afraid about money. Don't be afraid about whether God's going to provide for you because you are worth more to God than many, many, I mean, if a sparrow doesn't fall out of the sky without God knowing, imagine the attention that he is giving to you. And when you begin to align your life with the way he wants you to live it, you're going to experience a level of blessing that is going to be amazing. Now, this all goes back to this core ownership theology you got to get it in your head that it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And and friends, we're going to do a little lab session on this uh, today and, and throughout this next week. And so I'm going to ask our section host, if you'll come right now and you start passing out an envelope like this to everybody in all of our worship centers on all of our campuses. Now, only take one. Don't get selfish on me. All right. Now, we only want adults to take this, all right? So if you're not an adult, don't take one of these. If you are an adult, you take one, all right? But just take one, and I'll tell you what it means later on. Now, this is a trust project envelope, and it's part of my message, so don't open it. Oh, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Because, you know, the minute you say don't do something, what do you want to do? You want to open it, right? Okay, I I I raised three boys, man, I know better than that. Okay, please don't open it. I'll tell you what's in it in a few minutes, all right? I'll, I'll tell you what's in it in just a few minutes. Father God is passing out these envelopes. So let's look at what we can learn about money once we realize it's not our money. And we start thinking like our money is God's money. All right. Number one, if I believe it's God's money, I'll be grateful. I'll be grateful that he's entrusted me with so much. Now, everything you have belongs to God. And friends, that means you're blessed. If you've got a lot of stuff, God has really blessed you. Now the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.15, naked a man comes from his mother's womb and so he departs. He can take nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. I like the way the New New Living Translation renders this verse. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as we did on the day we were born. We cannot take our riches with us. Friend, you were born into this world with nothing. And no matter how financially blessed you are, even if you live to be 70, 80, 99 years old like Billy Graham, you're going to leave this this world with nothing except what you have sent ahead. The stuff you have here on earth is yours for a little while. Man, God has temporarily entrusted you with his resources. Now, some people say, wait a minute, Cam. Dude, I earned that. That's my stuff. I worked for it. I made this happen. It's mine. Really? Who gave you the strength that enabled you to earn your wealth? Who gave you that strength? You've met anybody that didn't have any physical strength? What'd you do to get yours? Nothing. Who allowed you to be born in the family you're born into, in the country you're born into, go to the schools that you went to? And you think, well, Cam, if you were born in Bangladesh, you think you'd have the net worth you have today? Who who gave you the unique mental capacity and the personality that God has used and you've used to earn the money that you've earned in your lifetime? Who gave you those things? Listen, those are gifts. They come from the Lord. If, now, you've developed your gifts, I hope you have, but listen, you got that from God. I've got a friend who's such a math brainiac that he can go to the grocery store, buy something for $7.99, and in less than a second, tell you what the tax is gonna be on it. 8 percent bam, 63 cents, 64 cents, whatever it is. I don't know, I don't care, I'm not a math guy, all right? <laughs> but you know, when he comes up with that number, his wife's like, how do you know that? And he's like, I don't know. Dude, that kind of math functionality is a gift. You're not the evolutionary elite. You were created by God in His image and gifted by God. Friends, everything we have in this life is from God, and we ought to be grateful about that. Instead, I think sometimes we all come off like small kids, like little kids who feel entitled to getting whatever they want. It's mine. Now, mom and dad had to pay for it, but it's mine. Now, imagine it this way imagine you're a young couple, got a couple kids, just trying to get established in the marketplace, money is tight, hadn't had a vacation for a couple of years, so you're thinking about another staycation this year. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what that staycation's like? Trying to get excited about it. Wish you could take the family off somewhere. Just can't afford it. And then you get an email from this wealthy uncle. And he says, hey, I got a beach house and it's open. If you'd like to use it to take your family for a week of vacation there, have at it, man. It's all yours. Y'all go and have a great time. You're like, what? Can't wait to tell the family. Everybody gets all pumped up. We go to the beach and when you get to the beach house, the front porch light bulbs burnt out. So you can't see as good as you'd like to. You get to the kitchen, you're really thirsty. Refrigerate hadn't been stocked. Uh, you go to the bedroom, lay down. Pillow's not exactly like the one you lay on in, at the house. You go out on the balcony and, you know, the beach house is not right on the beach. I mean, you can see the ocean, but, but it's a lot farther away than it looked in the pictures. So what do you do? You fire off an email to your uncle saying, this is ridiculous. You call this a beach house? We came all this way for this? of course not if you ever want to use that beach house again right (laughs) he blessed you so hopefully you're going to be grateful for that listen you're going to replace that bulb for free just to say thank you you're not paying for that house it's not even yours you get to stay there with your family your uncle has blessed you now friends this should be the perspective we have on life god owns everything whatever he's put in our hands However he put it in our hands, this is a gift from him. Dude, we ought to be grateful. Now, this gets hard for people who have five bags of gold and for people who have one bag of gold because the temptation is to start comparing what you have with what other people have, which is why the Bible teaches us never to compare ourselves to other people. I mean, think about this story. One guy's got five bags of gold, one got two. The last person got one bag of gold, man. You still got a bag of gold. I mean, listen, when your mind is right, you ought to be grateful for that. And if you think you don't have a bag of gold sitting right here where you are right now, you ought to go on a mission trip with us to Haiti or, or, or go to South America with us or, or go to India or, or go to, you know, uh, Africa or some of the places we visit in Eastern Europe. And if you, you know, you think you're poor because you're comparing yourself to people who are obscenely rich. If you know what real poor people look like, you'd feel like God has blessed me and I've got a bag of gold and I'm thankful for that. Now, one of the things that helps me with this ownership theology is just every now and then to go through a day and just honor God for everything he has given me. He has let me enjoy all of his stuff and I'm going to thank him for every single bit of it one day a month. Now, you, I want to encourage you to try this sometimes. So someday when you get up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for letting me use your bed, and then you walk into God's bathroom you take a shower in God's shower and you put on God's clothes and then you go to God's kitchen where you eat God's frosted mini it's Going to get amen. And then you drink God's coffee and then you get in God's truck and you drive to the job that God gave you. Then you come back to God's house, turn on God's TV and you cheer for Clemson, God's team. Amen. amen. Ah. Now, you know, if you just would do the discipline of going to one day a month, verbally acknowledging all your stuff belongs to him. Friends, you would eventually say it till you feel it and you would begin to believe it. And listen, it'd get your heart and your head in the right place. And instead of focusing on what you don't have, it might make you grateful for what you do have. Now, Rick Monroe is one of our elders and he goes to our East Campus. And he told me that sometimes when he prays with his wife at the end of the day, he thanks God for what didn't happen today. Thanks God for what didn't happen today. Lord, didn't have to ride an ambulance today. Thank you. Didn't have to go to chemo for a treatment. Didn't have to visit my son in prison. Didn't have to go to a funeral home for a family member. You know, sometimes thinking about what you didn't have to do reminds you that it could be a lot worse. Whatever your situation is, it could be a lot worse. And it gets things in perspective and it makes you grateful. Friends, it all belongs to God. It comes to us by his gracious hand, which means we should be grateful that he has entrusted us with some of his stuff. Whether it's a lot or whether it's a five-bagger or a one-bagger, he has entrusted us with his stuff. Now, Jesus embeds another uh, implication to this story. If I believe it's God's money, I'll be content with how he has allotted his resources to me right now. Now, here's what I know from this story. Jesus thinks it's normal for some people to have more than others at any given time in their life because we're all in different seasons of life. Now, I don't know how much gold those guys had before the master started loading them up with bags of gold. But I assume they had all been through some life and what they did in the past dictated how many bags of gold they got in the present and what they're going to do with the bags of gold they have now will dictate how they will be rewarded in the future. Now, I wonder if that one bad guy was just a passive, indecisive dude. He's just a hoarder. He's scared to do anything. He doesn't take care of what he's got. He's scared to do anything with it. So he doesn't have any track record as a good steward. And yet... God is so gracious that he gives that guy an undeserved opportunity. You wonder if that five-bag servant was a lady who had taken financial peace at university. She was unusually generous. She was debt-free. She pays attention to where everything goes. And that's why the master gave her five bags because she got a track record for being smart with what God puts in her hands. Now, if you have an attitude of gratitude, you realize that how many bags of gold you have it doesn't matter how many bags of gold you have. You've got a bag of gold, and that's awesome. But Jesus tells this story, I think, because that's not how most people think. I think the tendency is to think, well, it doesn't seem fair, does it? That story doesn't seem quite right. Man, it seems like everybody should have the right amount of money, Now, here, or the same amount of money. Here's my guess. My guess is that the guy with the one bag was consumed with the fact that he didn't have two. And the person who got two bags was upset because they didn't get five. And the person with five bags was a little upset because she thought she deserved all eight, (laughs) you know. Now, if you trust God and you believe that you're stewarding his stuff, you should expect that in different stages of life, he will give you different amounts of stuff to manage based on the stage of life you're in and what you did with it in the last stage of life. And man, if you believe God is trusting you with what you can handle in this stage of life, because he loves you, you will not measure your self-worth by your net worth. That's how people in the world do it. That's not how people in the kingdom of God do it. And and you realize that things are going to change as you get wiser and as you get stronger. Not necessarily older. Because, you know, growing old is inevitable. Growing wise is a matter of choice, right? But if you get wiser and stronger, you can expect things to change for you. Now, at FPU, we say that if you live like nobody else now, someday you'll be able to live like nobody else. But that is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. There's a study done in Newsweek uh, a while back. And they asked people, how much money would it take to make you happy? I mean, what's the number? Uh, let's put a number on it. How much money do you think it would make you take to make you feel secure and happy and all that? They found that people who made it in the $25,000 a year range felt like they needed $54,000. If they had $54,000, they'd be secure and they'd be happy. In that same study, though, they asked people who made $100,000 a year, how much do you think it would take for you to be secure and happy? And they said you need 192. Need 192,000 to feel satisfied and to feel happy. And what they concluded through this exhaustive study is that happiness and contentment is, requires twice as much as you have right now, which means it's a moving target. The more you get, the more you want. And so if your happiness and security and satisfaction is based on what you're making, you are never going to make enough to feel happy and secure. But when we understand that God is the owner of it all, and we understand that everything belongs to him, it takes a lot of pressure off. Man, we we can trust that he allocates his resources how he sees fit. And man, we can be grateful for what he's blessed us with today and content and work hard, man, not be lazy, but work hard. And we can be a good steward of what he's entrusted to us in this stage of life. And that will affect what he entrusts to us in the next stage of life. All right, now here's one last thought. If I believe it's God's money, I'm going to be obedient to how he expects me to use his resources. Now, look back at Matthew 25 for a minute here. The master goes off on this journey and he has a right while he's away to allocate his resources however he thinks is wise, but also to direct how that money is used while he's gone. And apparently he does because when he comes back, as we'll see next week, He rewards those who have been good stewards and he judges those who have not. Now, here's the principle. Even when the true owner is absent, man, we're still accountable for his expectations. And we'll unpack the rest of the story next week, but if you read it, you'll see that the master maintains ownership rights even while he's gone and he leaves his servants with a responsibility. This stuff all belongs to God. He's entrusted it all to us because it belongs to him He has the right to direct the use of this stuff. So if you think your stuff is really God's stuff, there's only one question a responsible steward should be asking. How does the master want his money to be managed? I mean, that's the question you ask when you're a follower of Jesus. How does the master want his money to be managed? And and pretty much that's it. Doesn't belong to me, doesn't belong to you, belongs to him. So the question... How do I want to use it is is not really the the, the real question. The the question, how do you want to use it, is not really the question. The, The question is, how does the master want his money used? Because it's his money. Say it with me, everybody. It's his money. All right. Now, it belongs to him. He has the right to direct how that money is being used, however he chooses. Fortunately for us, he has told us how to use his money in the Bible, which is awesome. Because that's why we read the Bible every day, so we'll know what God wants. That's why we come to church here. We hear the Bible taught every week, so we'll know what God wants. Whether you appreciate it or not, like the guys in this story, you are going to be accountable to God for everything he put in your hands. Whether you care, whether you love him or not, whether you believe it or not, you are going to be accountable for what God put in your hands. Now, if you think it's your money, when you come to church on a weekend like this and we open the Bible and we talk about what the Bible says about money, you're going to be offended. You know, your defense mechanisms are going to go up. You're going to walk out going, "All oh, that church ever talks about is money, which is not true, but that's what you think because you think we're trying to get your money and we're not. We believe your money is his money. Amen? <laughs> and if you play ball and you use it the way he wants, he will bless you because he owns it and he has the right to tell you how to use it. So, When God teaches us in the Word that the borrower is a slave to the lender and warns us not to jack up all of this credit card debt with his money, we are accountable for avoiding debt because, say it with me everybody, it's his money. When God teaches us in his Word that tough times are coming, you might be riding high right now, but brother, tough times are going to cycle around and you need to save for the future, save for emergencies in the future. We're going to save some of that money for the future because... Say it with me, everybody. It's his money. Listen, last week, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us to track our resources. You know, uh, God has given you stuff. He wants you to know what you're doing with it. The Bible says, know well the condition of your flocks and herds. So we have a plan for spending because it's his money. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to enjoy what God has blessed us with. If he's given you money he wants you to enjoy that first timothy six says god has provided everything for our enjoyment and so just like a father who wants to use some of his estate to bless his kids while he's still alive god wants us to enjoy what he's blessed us with so after wisely and we want we want to wisely enjoy spending money after we save and give because it's his money now did y'all notice i snuck the give part in here on you okay this is the most challenging part of what the Bible teaches us about what to do with God's money. The real test of whether you think it's your money or God's money, you will pass or fail when he asks you to give generously, proportionally, and consistently. And I am not talking about random acts of generosity. I love random acts of generosity. We're doing that right now. Listen, we've cleaned out Kroger and Walmart and Sam's and we're bringing all this food over here. You know, I asked you last week to bring some stuff for poor kids. You're on that program. Awesome. I love to give to special needs. I do it all the time. Hope you do too. Awesome. Everybody loves that. Everybody does that. That's not what we're talking about here. God is pretty clear. He wants us to return a tithe of our income, 10% of his money to our church. Now, for those of you who are math impaired, 10% means $10 out of every 100, 100 out of every 1,000, 1,000 out of every 10,000. God's Word says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That would be referential to the church today. So there'll be food, resources, uh, 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 necessary things in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing for you, you won't have room enough for it. Listen, just try doing it my way and watch what I do. That's what he's saying. Now, some people say, oh, Kim, that's the Old Testament. Well, Jesus reaffirmed that same principle in Matthew 23, 23. It's taught in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New Testament. It was taught before the Old Testament law. It's taught after. I mean, this is the way God's people work. Now, I had a lady come up to me last week right over here, a friend of mine. She asked me after the service, she said, Kim, I'm on a fixed income. Do you think I should tithe because I'm on a fixed income? Now, she is a tither. She has always been a tither. And God has really provided for her and blessed her, but she's got an unchurched neighbor who told her that she should not give money to the church. She, you, you can't afford that. You want a fixed income, can't afford it, don't do it. She said the neighbor on the other side is, uh, well, let's just say she's from a denominational church. We're non-denominational, you know. Um, she comes from a denominational church, claims to be a Christ follower. Here's what she told my friend. She said, you don't have to obey the word. God will understand. God will understand you don't have much income so you can disobey God on this. He'll understand. Now, next week, if you read the rest of this story, we will see what happens to the person with the smallest amount of income who presumes that they do not have to obey their master. But for today, what would you have told her? She's standing right over there. She's your sister in Christ. What would you have told her? Now, let's think through this a little bit. If you want the Lord who gave you the ability to earn and the earnings that you earn to bless you, should you obey him or disobey him? If you want the favor of God in your life, you want him to bless your health, your kids, your career, your imagination. You want to wake up in the morning with new ideas about how to do what you want to do. You want the favor of God to bless your life should you trust him or not trust him. If you want to see God show up in your life, if you want God to answer prayer for you, should you treat your income as your money or his money? So what would you tell her? She's your sister in Christ. She's standing right over here. I want to know. Here's what I told her. I told her you should ignore your unbelieving friend because she don't have a clue. She's not a believer. She didn't know one thing about the Lord. Do not take advice from her. I told her you should also ignore your denominational friend because she doesn't trust the Lord. This woman over here doesn't know the Lord. This gal over here doesn't trust the Lord. I mean, any Christian who tells you you can contradict the clear teaching in the Bible and God will understand is crazy. They're crazy. So ignore her. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should trust the Lord and you should obey him. As I watched my mama do. When my dad died at 43 and her income went down like this and she had to save half of it because she got two boys she got to take care of and God blessed her, blessed her, blessed her, blessed her as she tithed on her very limited income. As I watched the Lord bless me and Sarah, and I wish I had the time to just tell you about the ups and downs financially that we've experienced in our life together as husband and wife, but let me just say this. If you honor the Lord, you can expect the Lord who loves you to honor and reward your obedience in the way that you manage his money because, say it with me everybody, it's his money. Now if you believe that, it will make a life-changing difference for you. Now as your pastor, I'm your pastor. Everybody say, you're my pastor. Okay, we've got two new friends from Atlanta. I'm your pastor too until you find one. Okay, I'm just saying. Now I'm your pastor. I love you. I thank God for you. I love being your pastor. I want you to learn this. I want you to learn this principle. I want you to live this principle out because it will bless you, man. I'm telling you, I know it will bless you. It's blessed me. It's blessed everybody who's tried it. It'll bless you. If you can learn to be grateful and content and obedient and see your money as God's money, dude, you will be happier. You will be happier. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed means happy. Happy. Jesus says, you'll be more happy if you give than if you just want to receive all the time. And I don't know this is true. And so I've been praying about this as your pastor. How can I teach you this? Because you know, teaching, talking is not teaching. You, you have to learn for me to actually do some teaching. So how can I help you with this? And I thought, you know what we should do? We should have some kind of a trust project that's got some teeth in it. So everybody pull this envelope out and just hold it, hold it here for a second, all right? This is, this is gonna be a one-week trust exercise to help you feel the responsibility of handling somebody else's money. Okay, now I'm trying to figure out how can I teach you that? So here's what I came up with. Everybody hold up your Trust Project envelope. Hold it up, everybody, on all of our campuses. Now, guys on the cameras, y'all pan around here so everybody on the web can see how many envelopes we have in the air right now. Y'all wave them like this, like it was a gift from God. It's not a gift from God, but act like it was, all right? (laughs) Now, in every envelope on all seven of our campuses is a brand new $1 bill. Yes, I saw you holding up to the light a minute ago. That's what it (laughs) was. I want you to carry this around for one week and I'm going to trust you to bring this back here to church next week. And I want to tell you why I want you to bring this back so bad. Because this is not the church's money. This is my money. (laughs) My money. God entrusted this money to me. I'm going to give it to you for a week so that you will learn something important about the Lord and I need it back, all right? Now I'll tell you why I want you to bring it back. Last Wednesday, I went to my banker and I asked for enough money to give one to every adult in our church in $1 bills. And that that woman looked at me like I was crazy. Just like some of y'all looking right now. You should see me walking out of the bank with thousands of $1 bills to give away at church. This is my emergency fund. And if you don't bring it back, there's going to be an emergency at the Huxford house. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, I know some of y'all might be thinking, ah, I bet that pastor's a millionaire. No, I'm not, I wish I was, I'm praying for it, but I'm not there, all right? But I did take Financial Peace University 15 years ago, and Sarah and I have been practicing all these principles since the day we got married, and I've tithed every dollar that I've made since I was 11 years old, and I can tell you God blessed, 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 blessed us. But this money came from the three to six month emergency fund that we have saved up to cover emergencies in our family, which you're learning about in Financial Peace University, which I taught you on last week when we were talking about the power of saving. This is from our emergency fund. At least we used to have an emergency fund. Now you've got my emergency fund, all right? You know, the guys in my life group asked me, Cam, did you talk to Sarah about this? I said, yes. It was a very short conversation, in fact. (laughs) And uh, if you don't bring this money back, you see these clothes I'm wearing right now? I hope you like this, because you gonna be seeing a lot of this, all right? Because I took this out of Sarah's account and I'm just telling you right now, it's, it's not going to be good. Now, now here's the thing. I am trusting you with my money and I don't want you to invest this. You know, the story talks about how the master gave them the money and they went out and invested it and all that, I don't want you to do that. I want you to bring this back. This is my money, I'll invest it, all right? I just want you to hold it. You just hold it for a week. I, I, I want you to carry this dollar around all week and feel the weight of being responsible for somebody else's money. Every time you see this envelope, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for you to bring it back. All right? Now, I'm not like the master in this story. I'm not going off for a long journey. I'll be right here next Sunday. I want you to bring this money back. All right? (laughs) And I don't want you to try to multiply it or do anything with it. For, and listen, I'm not looking to get any more back than I put out. If any more comes back, I'm going to donate it to our pack ministry and buy food for kids with it or camp scholarships or something like that. All I want you to do is feel the weight of carrying the money of somebody who loves you and trusts you and has put their faith in you because that's what God has done. He has trusted you with his money. And as your pastor, I just want you to feel the weight of that in a microscopic way. You know, the weight of being a good steward of my money and then bringing it back to me next week. All right. Now, when you get back here next week, there'll be boxes and lobbies on all of our campuses that look just like this. Do not put this in the offering box at church because this is not an offering. (laughs) This is my emergency fund, y'all. All all right. I need this back. All right. Now, there'll be boxes like this on all of our campuses. You just drop it in like that. There'll be an army ranger nearby. (laughs) Because I don't trust you that much. Just bring the money back and step away from the box, please. All right? (laughs) But uh, anyway, just drop it right in that box and we'll get it all back and see. And and you know what? We'll tally it up and see whether my trust was misplaced or not. Now, again, (laughs) don't put this in the offering. This is my emergency fund. (laughs) I'm trusting you. So that you can learn and grow. You are responsible for my money. Learn from this. I'm your pastor, but you need to learn from this. Learn what it means for somebody to love you and take a risk because they trust you so much. Because God's love for you and God's trust in you is a million times stronger. Amen? It's true. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity we have today to study your word and to learn something that will affect the finances of the people in this room and and all of our campuses, Lord, for the rest of their lives. And Father, nobody wants financial stress. Nobody wants to live feeling like they're being choked to death by debt. It's no fun. It doesn't work. It blows marriages up. Nobody wants that. And yet, Father, to change that, we have to feel the weight of responsibility. We have to feel the weight of this money that we're spending being your money. And I pray, God, that because of this little exercise this week, that we'll feel that weight. And Lord, I just want to ask you to motivate all these people to bring my money back and learn something in this process about how they manage your money. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.